So this morning, I want to continue our series on what a healthy church looks like, which of course begs the initial question, what does a healthy church member look like? Um, So what we've been talking about the last few weeks, so I'd like to continue in that vein. We've synthesized or summarized what we've seen in the scripture thus far with a simple statement that Christians are called to love and serve the body. We are called to love and serve the called out ones. We are, we are called to love and serve the ecclesia, as Brad has reminded us. It seems clear from the Bible if we're not doing this, if this is not present in our life, then we have every reason to question our profession of faith. If we're not active in the body, if we're not bringing our gift to the body, if we're not serving the body, if we're not loving the body, this is antithetical to biblical Christianity. That kind of Christianity is biblically unrecognizable. So we're really talking about the essence of what it looks like to walk on this fallen world and be a true disciple of Christ. You know, not simply, as I always make the distinction, not simply... A church member. This is a big deal with Jesus Christ. He will say this over and over and over again. So I I want to start this way. What did you want to be when you were a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? A teacher? teacher? You know, pardon me? You wanted to be a CPA. (laughs) You dreamed. You dreamed about cash flow and amortization and depreciation and fully diluted earnings per share, right? Come on. No. Huh? Checks and balances. Checks and balances. (laughs) I have four distinct memories as a child in no particular order of stupidity. Uh, First, I wanted to be Little Joe. Does anybody remember Little Joe? He had that really cool horse. I loved his horse. And he had a really nice green jacket. I like that green jacket. And then I remember, and this is embarrassing, but I'll just, I'll be transparent. I, I really wanted to be Elvis Presley. Um, I mean, you know, because he got, he had lots of hair. Thank you, Susie. Um, but he always got the girl, right? He always got the girl. And then there was a time I wanted to be Lance Allworth. Some of you don't remember that name. He was an all-pro wide receiver for San Diego. He played at the University of Arkansas. And then I thought I might be an astronaut, but I'm claustrophobic, so that was really, really not going to work out. So I fast forward to university, and, and uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And uh, I hated my roommate because from like the sixth grade on, he knew he wanted to be an orthodontist. Now, who wants to be, who knows at six they want to be an orthodontist? Maybe Brad's father, I don't know. He knew that early? Wow. I hate people like that. I mean, you know, they, they, like, they know what they want to do. I, I was just in mass confusion. I came home as a sophomore, and my dad inquired about my non-existent major. You know, he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't, I don't really know. He said, well, Uncle Carl's a CPA, and he makes really good money. I said, okay, I'll do that. So that's what happened to me. Um, I like to sometimes ask teenagers and young adults what they think they want to do or what they think they want to be. And you get all kinds of answers, obviously, uh, all over the spectrum. But there's one response I never got. There's one I have never gotten. And I'll share that with you in just a moment. Before I do, let me ask you this question. 
Imagine asking Jesus what he would want you to do or what he would want you to be. Imagine asking him, uh, what do you think he would say? Well, we already know what he would say. He said it multiple times in the Gospels. And Jesus' answers for any of us, whether we're a construction worker or a teacher or a CPA or Little Joe or Elvis, his answer is exactly the same for each one of us. From a Christian perspective, and I, I think most of you will get this, from a Christian perspective, vocation is never the primary issue. It's never the principal issue. I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm saying it's not first. It's not principal. And as I was considering these things, um, I couldn't help but think of Paul and think of myself, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child. I used to think as a child. I used to reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. Okay, I'm not going to be little Joe. And I'm not going to be Elvis. And I'm not going to be Lance Allworth. I'm not going to. It may be good to ask God what he would have for me to do. What he would... How he would use the gift of life he's given me. How, I, how he desires for me to be a, a good steward of the life he's given me. You know, it's all a gift, right? He gives it and he takes it. He's in charge of life and he's in charge of death. And you and I have a lot of responsibility for what we do in the interim so when I stopped thinking and reasoning like a child, when I started connecting the dots, and you know the dots, right? The who and how of everything, why anything, why everything, we've talked a, a lot about it. You know, the, the, the who and how of being and existence and consciousness and meaning and purpose and morality and life and eternity. You know, when you start thinking about these things, you can't reason like a child anymore. You know, you're, you're, ready, to, you're ready to move into adulthood and to think seriously about why I'm here and what my purpose is, I started to want to know what my Creator wanted me to be. And I realized vocation is the wrong question. Vocation is the wrong question. That's not principle in the mind of God. The right question was and always is what has God called me to be and do? And he's told us five times in the Gospels. I won't give you the references right now. I'll give them to you later. Five times in the gospel, Gospels, Jesus effectively tells us his answer. And he is unambiguous. He invites his people into, you know, the sermon of the title, a call to greatness. He's invited us all in. He's invited us all in. To greatness. The Greek word here is mega. You know how the word is used. You've heard the, the words used in, in relation to mega cities and the mega rich and the mega stars and the megaphone. I looked at some of the definitions and synonyms of this word over in the English. Jesus is calling you and I to a, la a life that has mass. It has weight. It has import. It has height and breadth and depth. It has power. It's a life that's large and spacious and grand and abundant and mighty and virtuous and splendid. That's what Jesus says when, he's, when he uses that word great. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. 
Jesus says, when my people grow up, I want them to be great. I want them to be great, to have weighty lives. And you heard the text read. You know how he talks about this, right? And I'm going to read it again. You know how he talks about greatness. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercised authority over them. It is not so among you. Right? There it is. It's not like that for my people. It doesn't work like that. That's not how it works in the ecclesia. That's not how it works with the called out ones. But whoever wishes to become great among you, you shall be, someone tell me, what does your Bible say? You shall be what? A servant. That's what we've been talking about for weeks now, right? Love and serve. Don't tell me you're Christian if you're not loving and you're not serving the body. Don't talk to me like that. Because by definition, God has said you're not. Because my people love and serve. It's what they do. It's who they are. It's how they're recognized. It's how the world knows that they belong to me. This is the one answer I've never gotten. I never got this answer. I want to be a servant when I grow up. <laughs> it might be a cool thing to teach our kids, right? I want to be a servant when I grow up. I want to be great in the kingdom of God. I want to be seen as great in God's eyes. I want to serve his body. Whatever that looks like. Whatever it looks like. That's what I want to be when I grow up. You know, some say, and, and it's a good thing. Some say, well, I want, to, I, I want to do a great thing for God or I want to serve God. And that's great. And it sounds laudable and, and grand and noble. But really, here in this text, Jesus is not calling us to some glorious, valiant, heroic service, you know, rendered to, to, to one another. He's talking about a pride-defying life of service to one another. You know, I had a young Indian uh, man from, uh, yeah, from India, and uh, he was there studying medicine, a brilliant kid. He was just brilliant. Um, and he, he would talk to me. He was a little Pharisee, kind of, and, and, and he would talk to me about... Um, doing a great thing for God. And I thought it was really cool what the Lord gave me to say, right? I asked him, I said, he said, I don't know if I have enough faith to do a great thing for God. I said, well, do you have enough faith to do a menial thing? Do you, do you have enough faith to, to be defrauded? We talked about it last week. Do you, do you have enough faith to, to, do, to do that mean thing, the average thing? The thing that nobody notices. Can you, do you have enough faith to be anonymous in your service and it's between you and God only? Do you have that kind of faith? That's the kind of faith God's looking for, right? Now, if he has a great thing for us to do, he'll show us. In the meantime, we're supposed to put our hands on it here. We're supposed to, we're supposed to do the work here. In the local church, we do the work. We do the work. We're supposed to have faith to do the thing nobody ever notices and nobody ever comments on, but we do it for Christ. We do it for Christ. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. Jesus says, being a servant 
His greatness. I'll continue. Let me finish the text. Verse 27. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. He, he, he takes it up a notch. We're, we're servants and slaves. Is that how you define your Christianity? Is that how someone in your orbit would define your Christianity? You know, I, I see some people around here. I would, there are some people I would say, yeah, that's, that's what they do. It's pretty awesome. These are the words Jesus uses. This is the Son of God. These are the red words. Servant and slave. Servant and slave. You know, in this series, we've quoted those arresting verses, you know, John 13, 34 and 1 John uh, 3, 16, John 13, 34. We're to love each other as Christ has loved us. We know it's impossible, but that's what that's our job description. Right. <laughs> There's no mistaking what that means. We know it's impossible. We know we can only do it in submission to the Holy Spirit. Then that other text, 1 John 3, 16, we know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It, it, it can't be any clearer than this. This is what biblical Christianity looks like in the local body. Being a servant, being a slave, as we serve the Lord's church. You guys know there's not a whole lot of Christians who take this serious. Really? I mean, I've been in church all my life. I mean, I didn't take it serious. I think God means for us to take this seriously. The selfless kind of love for the church. Which, obviously, if we get this right, we don't have to worry about preaching about what a healthy church looks like. If we get this right, we will be a healthy church. We will be a healthy church. Um, one follows <clears throat> the other. I got a quote here. I love this quote. Author, he was an author and I think a poet, uh, Wilbur Reese. I forgot to look at when he lived. I think it was last century. Um, he expressed this sentiment that, that many Christians have these days, many professed Christians. I love this. He says, he writes, I would like to have $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. I don't want enough of him to make me love my enemy. I don't want enough of him to serve anybody that's inferior to me. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not the new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like $3 worth of God. Now, you know, if you've been in the church very long, you know, this, is, this seems to be the majority of people. Just give me three bucks worth of God. I don't want to love anybody. I don't want to serve anybody. You know, <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want that kind of Christianity, of course, which is the only kind. Many don't want it at all. So let's, shall we be candid? Your average Protestant only wants $3 worth of God. Okay, I can say this with confidence. 18 years in Milan, 1,000 people came through. 1,000, approximately. Did they take John 13 or 1 John 3 seriously? Not very many of them. I'm just being honest with you. This is just, this is anecdotal, but it's my observation. Reese says, you know, how does he say it? He says, you know, I, 
maybe a taste of ecstasy, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be transformed. You know, I don't want to be made into a, a lover of self, into a lover of God's people. I don't want to change like that. <laughs> you know, that's uncomfortable. I just want something nice and safe and cozy. I don't want the urgency and the risk and the exertion of the new birth. I don't want to selflessly serve the body of Christ. I don't. I don't want it. Let me ask you, how much of God and his servant slave talk do you want? How does it land on your ears? How does it land on your heart? And we know it, don't we? With Jesus, it's all or nothing. You can't have a little piece of Jesus. You know, you can't, you can't have a, 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 a portion of Jesus that you stick in your back pocket. It's, it's all or it's nothing with him. That's how he talks. That's how he talks. Let me just ask you, how are you serving Grace Baptist Church? You. Sitting there, you're sitting in the chair there. And this is between you and God. How are you serving this church? Where have you sacrificed? We're talking about servanthood and even being the slave. How have you sacrificed for this local body? The body that God has called you into. How are you answering Jesus' call to greatness? You know, the, 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 here it is. The ball's in your court, right? The ball is in your court. Now, are you going to be laying up, you know, unfailing treasures in heaven? It's up to you. What do you want? What's important to you when you roll out of bed? <clears throat> it's that true conversion over in Matthew 13, 44 and 46. The guy that found the great treasure in the field and the guy that found the pearl of great price, they gave up everything to have it all, right? They poured them, themselves out. This is the imagery of the, of the parables. They, they were willing to give it all away to possess the treasure. And of course, Christ is the treasure. I mean, and once you're in the relationship like that, once you're, once you're all into that relationship, it just comes natural, right? It just comes natural. I will love and serve his body. I will do it. How could I not do it? <laughs> he laid his life down for me. He's calling us to the same thing in a different sense. Of course, if we really know Him, if we've really encountered the living God, we would never settle for $3 worth of God. You know, this is one thing I've learned. One thing I've learned as an old man, being a Christian now since I was 28, I'm not going to do the math. Well, that'll be 40 years real soon. Um, one thing I, I've learned, the more you obey, the more He shows up. The more you give yourself, the more he gives himself. It's like you want God, roll up your sleeves and go to work. And he will bless you. The, the intimacy goes up. 
right? The intimacy goes up. When, you pour, when you're poured out, the intimacy goes up. And he shows up. And he fills your soul. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this, paraphrasing. He says, Jesus claims all. We can't have bits and pieces of him. He claims all. And you can't bargain with him about this. You can't bargain with the Son of God about this. He wants all of you. Or you can't have any of him. It's always this way. All the way through the Bible. There are no half measures with Jesus Christ. There, there are never any half measures with him. 1 John 3.16, Jesus says, Just as I laid my life for, down for you, you ought to lay down your lives, what? For one another. It's just simple, isn't it? It's not hard. It's not complicated. Is Jesus calling us to die for one another? In the sense that we must die to self, right? In that sense. None of us most likely will ever be martyred. I'm sure that's the case for all of us living in central Arkansas. But we must die to our own innate, inborn, instinctive, unrelenting self-love and self-absorption and self-interest. We must die to that or we can't go with him. We can't. We can't really walk with him. He is not calling us to die to one another so much as he is calling us to die to self and live unto one another. Right? And we know, don't we? Have you had this thought? Sometimes I think it would be easier to be martyred. And I'm not, I'm not kidding here. I think it would be easier to be martyred and be with the Lord than, than you know, a hard life of service. An inconvenient life of service. Maybe you don't think like that, but I've had that thought. You know, shame on me. Jesus says, he who does not take up his cross, this is death to self, right? We know what the cross is, it's death. He who does not take up his cross, and I'm in Matthew 10, 38, 39. He who does not take up his cross, that's death to self, and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life by being poured out, is what's implied here, by being poured out for my sake, for my body's sake, shall find his life. We find our life in serving the body. We find it. We find out what God has created us to be. You know, Paul talked about this a lot. <laughs> you know, what did he say? You know the famous text, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I die what? Every day. It's not something you did when you were eight. It's what you do in the morning when you wake up. I die to self, Paul says. He, he goes on. I have been crucified with Christ, right? Galatians 2.20. He says, those belonging to Christ have crucified the flesh, Galatians 5.24. He says, I have been crucified to the world, Galatians 6.14. And you remember how he said it over in Philippians 2.17. I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service. And he's talking to the church of your faith, he says. I'm being poured out for you, he says, right? 
I mean, that's the real picture of that 1 John 3, 16. He says, I'm being poured out for you. It's, 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 why, I, it's why I live. It's why I breathe. It's why, I, you know, it's my purpose. This is a dying to the love of self, coming to, alive to the love of God, the love of His Word, and the love of His people. That brings us back to Matthew 20, 26, and that call to greatness. It's Jesus' call to all who have stopped reasoning like a child. Now, some of you, you know, Hebrews talks about those who are still babes. I, I, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're a, still a babe in Christ. Or if you, you've, learned, you've learned about greatness and, man, I'm laying my hands on that. I want that. I want to please the Lord. You know, He's my reward. And, man, when I'm obedient, man, He shows up and there's fellowship and it's sweet and there's power. And there's, it's just awesome. It's a little foretaste of heaven. When I'm walking in, in, in what He's called me to walk in. You know, I'll, be, I'll just be honest with you. It's how, it's how Karen and I felt for 18 years in Milan. There's a lot of downside to that. But I got to tell you, the upside was, was unfathomable. We loved a lot of aspects of it. But principally, we felt the pleasure of God. And this is what you feel, you know, when you give yourself away in the body. You feel the pleasure of God. It's not whether somebody said, oh, that's a great job. And we should encourage one another like that. But, but you know, the big deal is you feel the pleasure of God in it. You feel the pleasure of God. You remember what prompted Jesus' words here in, in Matthew 20? James and John had their mama ask Jesus if they could sit on his right hand and his left when he came into glory. And just paraphrasing here, Jesus is actually saying in verse 25, in a paraphrase, in a, in a paraphrase sense, he said, you're thinking like the world thinks. It's not like that for my people. You know, it's not like that for my people. It's not like that. You know, we got to pick, a, we got to pick our own verse, our own section of Scripture and hermeneutics to, to, to you know, to, to sort out and study and prepare a sermon on. And I, I picked Philippians 2, 5 through 8. You guys know it. It's famous. This is, the, this, is, this is the mindset of Jesus Christ, which we are to have, obviously. Paul says, right, he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Can you imagine? But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, this is God, this is Yahweh, in the person of the Son. And being made in the likeness of men, God becoming a man, taking on flesh. I mean, the condescension here is just, it's just unbelievable. And you can't serve your brother? You can't reconcile to your brother? We have no clue. Right, right? If we can't do these small things, we have no clue what God is calling us to. Continuing in the Philippians 2 passage. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Who knows what Philippians 2, 9 says? And it's beautiful. And, and, and here's, here's, like, here's the other side of the coin for us, right? Right? 
Therefore, also God highly what? Exalted him. So, service really is greatness in Yahweh's eyes, right? This is a big deal for any of us who actually read and believe our Bibles. In serving, Jesus was exalted. It's, he says the same thing to us. In service, in loving and serving the body, we will be great in the kingdom. This is God's command to us. Beloved, you know we're supposed to point at this promised reward, the Bema Seat. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. And as I, I quoted earlier, you know, Jesus says, you, he, he, it's a command. He says, lay up, just lay them up. You know, we know how to lay up, those of us who have savings accounts. We know, how, we know what he's talking about. Lay it up, right? Make, it, make for yourselves unfailing treasure in heaven. It's loving and serving the body. Principally, that's what we're talking about here. Loving and serving the body. And you know what he says in, uh, you know what he says in Revelation? I think it's eight times about the overcomers. The overcomers are his disciples. The overcomers are his ecclesia, right? The overcomers are is every true born again soul. Remember what he, 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 I, I, I'll, for, for sake of time, I'll give you three. For sake of time, I'll give you three. There's eight of them. He says to the overcomer, I will give them, the servant and slave overcomer, I will give them authority over the nations, right? Revelation 2, 26. He says to the servant slave overcomer, uh, they will inherit every good thing in the new heaven and new earth. Revelation 21, 7. And this one's so big, I can't even comment, comment on it. I'll simply, let, I'll simply read John MacArthur's comment on it. I'm, I'm afraid to comment on it. It's so big, I, I'll, I'm afraid I'll mess it up. Revelation 3.21, I will grant the slave servant overcomer to sit down with me on my throne. Now, I'm not bold enough to even comment on it. Um, I'll let Johnny comment on it. Johnny Max says, this is a figurative expression, meaning that we will uh, share the privilege and authority that Jesus Christ enjoys as we reign with him. Oh, it's really true. Service is greatness. It's really too true. <laughs> what God says is true. Are you taking it serious? Are you taking it serious? Is it, is it a big deal? Is it a big deal with you? It's a big deal. <laughs> Service really is greatness in the kingdom of God. It's God's call of greatness for you. You know, if we're connecting the dots here, we understand, right? We understand. <laughs> this is not two things. It's one thing. In the kingdom of God, service is greatness. It's not two things. It's one thing. Effectively, it's one thing. To be the servant is to be great in the kingdom of God. You can't have a healthy church if we don't understand this. 
Right? We, we can't. We won't love each other like we're supposed to. And we still have a hard time doing it because we all, we're all burdened down with our own sin and you know, self-interest, aren't we? But this is the call. This is the call of God. It's the explicit call of God. And, and I'm just going to be honest. This is just an anecdotal observation. Most professed Christians have no interest in being great by God's definition. By this definition that God gives us. You know, I've preached on uh, rewards, you know, the parables and, and the promised reward of God. You know, there's some people that are too spiritual to think about the reward God's promised. They're too spiritual. They're too holy. They can't think about it. You know, that it's wrong to think about the promised rewards of God. Well, I'm going to say to you lovingly, you're wrong if you think it's wrong. They're just too holy, right? It, can I say it's piety run amok? God rewards His faithful servants. God rewards His faithful servants. Of course, we're not mercenaries about this. We're not mercenaries. We do it because we're hopelessly in love with Christ. And because He's told us to do it. That's enough for me. I don't, ever, I don't get it right very often, but you know what? That's enough for me. I, I'm past the reasoning of it all. I'm past the logic of it all. It's enough for me. <clears throat> Again, we're not mercenaries here. If you're a mercenary about it, you're a Pharisee, and you'll go to hell. If you love Jesus Christ and you can't help but serve His body, yeah, that's the right path. That is the right path. Jesus is inviting us to greatness in the kingdom of God. And as noted, the Bible speaks at length about God's purpose to reward His faithful servants. It's that primary motive. You know, I wrote a book about Hebrews 11 because it changed my life. God, God got me out of fear and, and anxiety and, you know, clinging on to security. He got me out of that with Hebrews 11. You know, He blew up my life with Hebrews 11. And although I dreamed all my life about being a CPA, well, not really, um, he was calling me to be a preacher. Fancy that. You know? It was crazy. It was wacky. Um, but you know, these guys, these guys, these men and women in Hebrews 11, <laughs> they had a, 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 a relentless thirst for God and for heaven and for the fulfillment of all of God's promises, which would be their inheritance, right? Um, I was thinking about it. I was just thinking about these folks in Hebrews 11. Let me just share some verses with you. Of course, they were pointing at heaven. They say they were strangers and exiles upon the earth. Verse 13 of Hebrews 11. They desired a better country, a heavenly one. Verse 16. Therefore God was not ashamed. He never says this anywhere else in the Bible. God was not ashamed to be called their God, for He had prepared a city for them. It, you know, they're looking there. They have the long view. You know, how, when's the last time you thought about heaven a lot? When's the last time you thought about your reward a lot? I guarantee you, think about it a lot. You'll get divorced from a lot of minutiae here. 
You know, you'll stop doing this. You'll stop wringing your hands about every little thing that happens. As you start to habitually consider these things. You know, I was thinking about it. People or professed Christians who do not take these verses seriously. They're not only despising their call, they're despising their inheritance. Right? God is clearly saying <laughs> to serve is to be great. And in some inexplicable way, we'll sit on the throne with Jesus. I don't understand it. I don't even want to talk about it. It's too big. I'm scared I'll say something wrong about it. Service is greatness. We're not mercenaries. But we love him, right? <clears throat> we love him. I think we could all agree that the Apostle Paul was a pretty good model. You know, he held these truths in perfect balance, right? Service, reward. Um, he uses that word. <clears throat> There's a unique word he uses in 1 Corinthians 4.1. 4, it, it, it's a picture. The Greek word there is a picture of an under rower. He's at the third level of a ship and he's rowing. He's chained to an oar and he's rowing it. This is the imagery. This is how Paul sees himself. Probably the greatest Christian to ever live. This is how he sees himself. I'm an under rower. Well, likely the greatest Christian ever. This is how he saw himself. You know, when you see yourself like this, what? You kind of have God in the right spot and you kind of have yourself in the right spot. <laughs> You're not thinking too highly of yourself as we talked about a week or so. Ago. So while Paul understood and embraced, I want you to hear this, while he understood and embraced the call to humility and service, he also understood and embraced God's invitation to greatness. It's one thing. It's one thing. It's not two things. We make a huge mistake if we start thinking it's two things. It's not two things. It's one thing. Paul understood, as we should, that in the kingdom of God, this is one thing. Service and greatness. You know, you know how he talks about it. 2 Corinthians 4.17, he said, These momentary light afflictions are producing for me an eternal weight of glory. Right? Colossians 3.2, Paul says, I've set my mind on what's above. As I serve the body, I'm looking at heaven. I'm looking at the Bema seat. Right? I'm looking at my inheritance. I'm not going to despise my inheritance. I want it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus, Jesus never said there's anything wrong with wanting your inheritance in God. Of course we're supposed to want it. Consequently, he says, 1 Corinthians 9, 23 to 25, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Listen, I run to win. Let me ask you, are you serving to win? Are you serving to win? Are you serving to be great in the kingdom of God? I mean, it's like a key. It's like a key God's given us, right? It's like a key. This is how, this is, this is greatness in the kingdom. Here's the key. There's so much here. There's just, 
There's just so much here. And, and I just fear, I fear, I fear for myself and I fear for, for all of us. I mean, I, mean, I mean, it's almost like we should read these texts every day. Because it's just so easy to fall in a ditch or to go off course, right? It's just easy. It may not be easy for you. It can be easy for me. Paul says he's all in. He's content to be an under rower for Christ. And here's how Jesus says it. He says it for four additional ways. I've already given you one verse. Here's another one. Matthew 23, 11 through 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever humbles himself <clears throat> shall be exalted. Mark 9, 35. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Mark 10, 43. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Luke 22, 26. Let him who is greatest among you become the, the youngest and let the leader be as the servant. The last few weeks, we've noted how Jesus has talked about this in Matthew 26, verse 40. To the extent that you serve the least of one of my brothers, you did it to me. Right? It's just, it's, it's just simple. Matthew 10, 42, Jesus says that even the one who performs that menial task of giving a cup of water shall not lose their reward. The least service to the least among us is worthy of a king's reward. It's, this is big. You know, I was thinking about it this week. I love to preach about God. I, I, my favorite thing is to stand up here and talk about him. It's my favorite thing. It's to get him as big as I can, get him as high as I can get him in your heart and mind. It's, it's my favorite thing to do. But this might be the second most important sermon. What God means for you to be and what God means for you to do. Okay, we know he's awesome. We know he's great. And that's effortless for me. You know, it's effortless. And I'm sure it's effortless for you. It's effortless to worship this great God. How could I not worship this great God, right? But this is hard work. This is hard work. And it's what God has called us to every humble service in the body, he sees it and he has laid up your reward. This is, you know, if we learn to think like this, <laughs> um, it might change everything about our lives. So we spent these last few weeks. I'm just going to give you a brief summary. Last few weeks, here's some of the things we've talked about. Uh, we, we, we've acknowledged that it starts with God. Romans 11, 33 to 36, it flows out, you know, this kind of service and love to the body, it flows out of doxology, flows out of worship. If it's genuine, if that's really happening, if genuine worship is happening, Romans 12, 1 will happen, we'll give ourselves away as, li as a living sacrifice. This is Paul's therefore after 11 chapters of theology. If genuine conversion has happened, we will reject conformity with the world and we will seek conformity with the Son through the Word, Romans 12, 2. In looking at God and being immersed in His Word, we learn humility, Romans 12, 3. You know, and humility is, a, the, I guess, is like the first step of service, right? It's really cool that the Holy Spirit did that for those of us who may be slow. 
we, we, we now understand that as a member of, we, we are a member of the body of Christ, Romans 12, 4 through 5. An interrelated, interconnected, interdependent, in the body, loving and serving the body with, with a vital and necessary function. And we did not do a, a sermon on it, but we did mention it, I think it was last week, that God has given you a gift and He expects you to bring it in here and use it. You know, that's not, that's not a gray area. God says, you have one, bring it in here. Bring it in here. So this morning God has led me to put an exclamation point on servanthood. And it's done me a world of good. Don't know if it did you any good, but it has done me a world of good. God is calling you to greatness right here at Grace Baptist Church. And the ball's in your court. You decide. You decide. And I, I don't want you to forget this. Servanthood and greatness are not two things in the kingdom of God. They are one thing. They are one thing. So are, are you interested in God's definition of greatness? Are you interested? You know what to do. Put your hands on it. Go to work. Serve the body. Do you want to be great in God's eyes? Are you cherishing your inheritance or are you despising it? Let me close. I'll just close with Galatians. I, 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 there's so many places I could go. And I really, I really struggled with this. What's a good way to end this? And, and Anyway, this is where I ended up. I trust it's from the Lord. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. Now, that, you know, this is a biblical principle, right? If you sow servanthood, you will reap greatness. It's, it's one of the things he's saying to us. Galatians 6, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. You know, you meet sometimes people, you meet earnest servants of God and they're weary. Well, here, here's God's exhortation to, to you. Don't lose heart. Even if people don't receive it well, even if people critique you, even if people complain about you, even if people don't like you, that's their problem. That's not your problem. We don't lose heart. Why? Because we love Him. We're not mercenaries. I'm not doing this for a reward. I'm doing it because I love Him. And what comes, comes, right? And He's promised a reward. And He's the best part of it. So let me finish. Verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, beloved, servanthood is greatness. It's what a healthy church looks like. A lot of servanthood. And the inheritance and the reward will be great. Let's pray together.